Hello, and welcome to Brick by Brick, a podcast of Arcade Church. My name is Beth Whitney, and I'm flying solo today as your host. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast so you don't miss a thing and your friends can hear as well. I'm excited today to be joined by my friend, Jim Culp. Uh, Jim and Annie Culp are the founders and directors of Iglesias del Oeste. Iglesias exists to advance the gospel by equipping healthy leaders who impact their communities, nations, and the world. Iglesias del Oeste currently serves in seven Spanish-speaking nations and has sent missionaries to four other nations. Jim served for 20 years in pastoral ministry before launching Iglesias del Oeste in 2016. Jim and Annie have been married for 29 years and have three children, Daniel, who's married to Danielle, Benjamin, soon to be married to Sarah, and Kate. Our conversation covers local churches, both here and abroad, a confession of cultural prejudices, gifting in the church, and what it might look like to actually live unleashed. Here we go. I am here today with my friend, Jim. Jim, would you take a minute, introduce yourself, tell us where in the world you are and why? Yeah. Hi, Beth. It's such a great privilege to be here with you. My name is Jim Culp. Um, I'm the director of Iglesias del Oeste, and uh, we're a ministry based out of Ensenada, Mexico. So today I am here in Ensenada. Awesome. And you are our very first call-in guest. Every other guest has been live in the room with us, but you are, I'm looking at you on the screen. So at least I get to see you while I talk to you, but you are not physically present with us. Thank you for taking the leap and joining us. I feel super special to be here. Well, it's very exciting. You are special, not just to me, but to Arcade. So I'm glad, I'm glad you said yes to us. Um, can you do me a favor and tell us a story of how you are seeing God working in your ministry context? Yeah, well, as you know, Beth, uh, we have the privilege of um, working around the world in the Spanish-speaking church. And uh, it's just really cool to see um, how God's moving, God's expanding. And, uh, and I think sometimes we forget that we're part of a global church. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we think of kind of American and outward from there. And so it's been really fun to learn how God is raising up his people um, in other nations and, uh, and then sending and impacting there. Uh, I think probably, you know, there's so many things that I think of, but one that really has hit my heart this week is uh, this last week we celebrated uh, with uh, some Cuban friends who are serving in a North African Muslim country mm-hmm. and have been there a little over there uh, over a year. And they have been teaching Spanish and English classes to Muslim moms and kids. Okay. And out of that, they have planted a church. And this last week, they baptized their first Muslim, now Christian family, hmm. mom and her three kids. And, uh, and so we were just celebrating that and, and so excited to see God moving in that. Um, but I love seeing how uh, we have a relationship with them as we train them from Mexico mm-hmm. through Cuba, mm-hmm. have helped them go to this North African country 
And now they're making eternal differences in the lives of families there. So when you said yes to going to Ensenada, I bet this was beyond any thought that you would be a part of sending folks to North Africa. Or I don't know, maybe it was on your radar, but... For sure. It was one of those, it's been one of those things where you say, uh, God had a vision so much bigger than, uh, than we could have even dreamed up. And, and, and I'm a dreamer and yet how God has shaped, um, things into reality that we had never even envisioned Mm -hmm. has been really cool to watch. And, uh, you know, when we came, we wanted to invest into the Mexican church Mm -hmm. and be willing to go where God opened doors, but, never would have dreamed of the doors that he's opened. Yeah. Tell us, um, I, this is not on our questions, but tell us all the countries that Iglesias has some kind of impact in that you can tell. I know you said North well, Africa, cause that's a little yeah. under the radar, but. Yeah. Yeah. So we do our training program in, uh, in seven Spanish speaking nations. Mm-hmm. We're in several States in Mexico uh, we are in Honduras, um, Dominican Republic, Argentina. We have some students, Spain, and then we have a very large campus in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I feel like maybe I've missed one, but anyway, that is did you say where Peru? a lot of work going. And then Peru, yeah. thank you. Okay. I You're did miss you. one. Yeah, and we're in Peru, and so. Uh, we work in those seven countries, and then um, we have two sets of missionaries in two different North African countries, and uh, a Mexican couple, and then this Cuban couple. And we're really excited. We're in the process of sending a couple from Ensenada to work with migrants and orphans in Romania. And so um, just really cool to see God move pieces around mm-hmm. and and mobilizing people to serve where there's need. Yeah, I love it. Okay, let's jump in. We are talking about the local church this month, and so I have some specific questions, but then we'll go we'll go a little broader too as the conversation goes along. Great. Um, so first of all, why is the local church such an important part of Christianity? Um, regardless of where you are, what language you speak, what culture you're a part of, et cetera? You know, I think something that has been really interesting in our journey is we have learned that really there's only the local church. Um, Missions exist to establish local churches Mm -hmm. where they land. And so the local church is how God's chosen to work through and impact specific places. And, uh, and so, um, as we talk about missions, often we talk about places far away, Mm -hmm. but those places far away are going to become the local church to Mm -hmm. their people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I so love thinking about, uh, how is it that we support the local church wherever it is? Uh, because that is the essential tool that God has chosen to use to impact communities and, um, and be hope in each place that it exists. Mm-hmm. So the local church is, is the church is what you're saying. It's Cause it's going to be local, no matter if I right. live in Folsom, California, Ensenada, Mexico, 
Cuba, et cetera, right. et cetera. Great. Love it. Uh, we, we were talking um, the other day about how we often talk about um, how the church in Acts 1, it talks about expanding from Jerusalem, Judea, mm-hmm. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we often think that from wherever our Jerusalem is, mm-hmm. that the ends of the earth is some global church. Mm-hmm. But really what happens is there was this expansion outward. And then as it got to wherever that end of the earth was, that became the new local church. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, yeah, there is just the church. I love it. Good. Okay. So um, you and Annie planted a church in Chico like 20 years ago, right? Yeah. A little over 20 okay. years ago. And that was... That was kind of the beginning of your life in ministry. You'd done other things before that. Um, So when you moved to Mexico, to Ensenada, Mm -hmm. why didn't you plant a church when you got there? Yeah, so um, I think a big part of it is we knew we weren't called to. Mm -hmm. Um, We felt like we were called to invest into lots of churches and lots of leaders Mm -hmm to help empower them to be the local church in their culture. I think one of the last things that Ensenada in particular needs is a white guy to come tell them um, this is what church should look like. Mm -hmm. Instead, we wanted to come underneath the Mexican church Mm -hmm. and say, how do we serve you to be the best you that you can be? Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, that was the big driving factor. We felt like God called us to come and serve the Mexican church. Sure. I love it. Well, and and in case folks don't speak Spanish, can you tell us what Iglesias del Oeste means in English? Yeah. So Iglesias del Oeste just means churches of the West. And, uh, and it's a name that I guess everywhere's West of somewhere. So it has worked for us. But uh, yeah, it just means churches of the West. Mm-hmm. Great. That helps understand a little bit uh, of why you went to Mexico. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so we don't want to talk so much right now how different uh, the Spanish-speaking church in where you've experienced it is from the American church. How about this instead? What do local churches globally, from your perspective, have in common with local churches in the American context? Have in common. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that is most visible is this. There's just this connection at the spirit to spirit level mm-hmm. in the church, wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we feel that when we come and visit arcade mm-hmm. and we feel that when we visit uh, any countries within a Spanish speaking context, But one of the things that I love, and if you've ever traveled to a place where you don't even speak the language, Mm -hmm. there's still a connection. And, uh, you know, we've been places where um, we work at places where Spanish within Mexico is not their first language. They speak indigenous languages and we get there and the service is in this second language that I don't understand a word of. Mm -hmm. And yet there is this connection at the spirit level where I know I'm among family. I know that uh, we have a common purpose and vision Mm -hmm. and we have the same need for 
our shared savior. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so you see that wherever you go. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Cause every, no matter where you are, you are at the local church. Right. right. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, there's been a lot of talk, um, I've seen where, you know, Christianity is the white man's religion, um, which is kind of funny to me thinking about our savior being Middle Eastern. But anyway, um, so have you done any research or looked into kind of the, what the average Christian in the world today is, you know, what language are they speaking, male or female, socioeconomic status, um, and does it matter? I think it's important to recognize who is the body of Christ and who's making up the body of Christ. Because we growing up, um, growing up in the American church, mm-hmm. we think of it very North American driven. Right. Um, but the average Christian in the world is a Spanish speaking young woman mm-hmm. of about 22, 23 years old who earns less than $20 a day. Wow. And, uh, and so every year Gordon Cromwell does Christianity as a hundred people. I mm-hmm. love their, their little graphic. And you see, I think it's something like um, 16% of the world's Christians speak Spanish. And, uh, and the next closest is 10%. Wow. Um, but 52% of Christianity lives in Latin America or in Africa. Hmm. And so more than half of the world's Christians are living in what we call the global South. Right. And uh, the majority um, are women. I think it's something like out of that 52%, 54% are women. Hmm. And I think the age even gets younger when you include Africa. It's something like 20 years old and, uh, and, and living on, you know, 12 to $15 a day. Right. And yet thriving hmm. spiritually and exploding and expanding in, uh, as they advance the gospel. That kind of flies in the face of the American prosperity gospel. Right. <laughs> really, I, I think it cures us of the prosperity mm-hmm. gospel mm-hmm. when we begin to look at what um, the local church in all of her contexts mm-hmm. looks like. Right. And uh, um, the prosperity gospel has been one of our dangerous exports as the American church. We've exported it Mm -hmm. to Latin America. And it's attractive when you tell me that, uh, boy, if I believe in Jesus, it's like a genie in a bottle that's going to fix my economic issues. Instead of focusing on um, the real values of the gospel um, and how... Uh, this is this eternal restoration and uh, that, that God's doing. And so um, I really think when we begin to look at uh, who the church is, um, we begin to see that um, that isn't uh, the prosperity isn't what God is working in. Right. God's working through passionate people mm-hmm. who have experienced life change. Right. That life changes enough. Um, I've been praying for this family all week. I don't know them. They're this this Muslim mom and her three kids. Mm-hmm. 
And that very likely costs her everything. Right, right, right. There's no promise of prosperity. No. There is cost that comes with it. And yet there's certainty in truth. Yep. She knows the decision she's making. And, uh, and so I love thinking about that's, that's the church. It is a church willing to risk, willing to give all for the cause of Christ. Um, and, and it's a young woman yeah. that is mostly advancing it. You know, I, as you were talking about this woman who, who could lose everything, you know, in North Africa, professing Christ, um, I wonder, I wonder if her joy, what her joy is like, her joy mm-hmm. in Christ as her savior, because she may have nothing but Jesus, but she has everything she needs. And I have everything I need, but also I have everything I need. You know what I mean? I, like, um, I just, I, I ponder that sometimes like, okay, this woman who, who following Christ could cost her everything. Right. What is, yeah, what is and- her experience like? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we see is that Jesus plus nothing is enough. Yep. And uh, and often we have been taught that, but have never had to live that. No. So we can say Jesus plus nothing is enough, but I always have something else. But what we're seeing around the world is so many people saying. I'm going to trust that Jesus plus nothing is enough because Mm -hmm. that's what I'll have at the end of trusting Jesus. Right. Is nothing and that will be enough. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I really see that as what's driving Christianity Mm -hmm. in the global South is this reality, this understanding that Jesus truly is enough. And if Jesus is enough, in spite of what, he has cost me in my personal life. How am I not going to share that the cost is worth it? Right. And so you just see this, this outward thought of I've got to share what I have in Jesus, this joy that I have in Jesus, mm-hmm. because it is all sufficient mm-hmm. for my life. It seems contagious. Yeah. I bet her joy is contagious. Yeah. I want to hang out with her. <laughs> I know. That that would be very cool to sit and talk yeah. with her and yeah. Um okay, so remind me how long you've been in Ensenada. Been here over six years. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Um so you've probably learned more than you could ever articulate. Um, just in all your travels and your experience, um, kind of around the world. But um I want to kind of hone in on hospitality, you know, gospel hospitality. Um, So I'm wondering, how have you encountered hospitality in your travels, um, even locally there in Ensenada? Um, And then are there any hospitality elements that maybe don't really change, whether you're in Chico or in Sacramento or in Cuba or Spain or wherever? Yeah, I really think it's one of the great strengths of the Spanish-speaking church is this um, this gift of gospel hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in Spanish, they have the phrase, 
mi casa es tu casa. Mm -hmm. My house is your house. Mm -hmm. and, and that is not a phrase. That is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so when you... So it's you, not just it, like, like a, a picture from Hobby Lobby in your bathroom. It actually, right. they actually mean it. Right. They okay. actually mean it. And so when you visit a place, they say like, and now you have your house here. And uh, because it, you are welcome in this place. And, and, uh, and that's just, you know, that's just one of the things that I think is one of the cultural elements of uh, the Spanish speaking church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that really is one of the things that um, has helped the church grow in advance mm -hmm. is this embracing of including Jesus in this hospitable culture, Okay, that Christ is the central element in this hospitality. And, uh, and so I think in, in the States growing up and then serving as a pastor, I always knew that was a value. And, and I am actually someone who is fairly hospitable, but it's still a learned trait sure. and it's a discipline. Okay. We need to do that as part of the church, right? where here it is, this is who we are as a people. Mm -hmm. And then let's put that to practice with Jesus as the center of our hospitality. That is so cool. <laughs> I love that. Oh, now you have a house here. Now, now you yeah, have, exactly. no matter where you are, you have a place to land yeah. if you know someone. Yeah. Um, that sounds like gospel hospitality. That sounds yeah. like something Jesus would say. Right. Yeah. right. Um, okay. So, you know, everywhere we go, there's strengths and weaknesses of every church. There's um, things we excel at and things we struggle with. Um, what aspects of the gospel do you see the Spanish speaking church living out extremely well? And then maybe on the flip side, what aspects of the gospel does the Spanish speaking church struggle with? Mm hmm. So I think what we just talked about, hospitality is the one that rushes to the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, they're very good at, at embracing people. Um, there are all those verses that Paul talks about, um, uh, about living in harmony with mm -hmm. one another. Mm -hmm. And they're very good at doing that um, at a non-organizational level. Right. So, so not thinking about... Um, how we structure this within the church, it just is one person embracing another mm -hmm. and welcoming them into life, sharing life together, life on life type discipleship mm -hmm. is something that they do naturally without knowing that they're doing discipleship. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about like, we need to improve life on life discipleship. Um, they do it. We just need to help them define that sometimes sure, like okay. you're doing that already. Um, and so you really see that. I also think, uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, their faith is contagious. Hmm. And so evangelism happens best when it's unprogrammed, right? When it's just, I am exuberantly sharing what has happened in my life. Hmm. And so you see this passion, um, for that and uh, passion to share Christ. And so I think that is another one of those things that are really a strength um, that you see. Um, 
Latinos are passionate people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every culture that I've been, every country that I've been in within the Spanish speaking community, you, you just see their passion. And, uh, and so the church has embraced that mm-hmm. and that has become part of their strength. Um, as you know, a strength often comes with a counter side that leads into a weakness. Sure. And, uh, and so one of the things that we identified is um, often in our passion, we don't want to slow down enough to prepare to make sure that we're living out our passion in good, healthy ways. Mm, okay. And so one of the things that we identified before moving here, and it was one of the things God really laid on our heart to come was that there was this great focus on sharing their passion um, without ever thinking through and preparing exactly what it is they're sharing. Hmm. Understanding who is this Jesus? What is the gospel that is driving their passion and how do they communicate that well? Sure. And, uh, and so, but we see that hunger. And so that then becomes the solution to that weakness, this desire to grow and, uh, and be encouraged with having good, strong foundations then linked with this passion is really just an unstoppable force. Right. Which is probably why the response to your seminario side of your ministry has been so strong. Yeah. Yeah. We've just seen this desire to say, we want to deepen in the things that are driving our passion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and it's so interesting to see how, certain cultural strengths then have changed what our original thoughts and plans were, Mm -hmm. uh, things that we thought we would teach that we say, like, that's just not necessary to teach within the Spanish speaking culture because they naturally get that. And yet we need to instead focus on some other things that help them be uh, the very best version of who God's called them to be. So you're not trying to change them or conform them into maybe an American mold. Yeah, no, we want to do the opposite. Right. We want to help them just really be the strongest believers that they can be within their cultural context. I love that because that's where God put them. <laughs> right. Yeah. God created them to be Latinos in the Spanish speaking or Spanish speaking country where they speak a different language. Right. Why would you want to, to break them to get them to fit into something else? Right. And, you know, most of our team, um, as you know, we have a a large team now in Mexico and, um, and of the 18 of us, only three of us are Americans. Mm -hmm. Only three of us are American born. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess now we have a Canadian too. She counts on that North American <laughs> side. So there's four of us, but 14 are Mexican born. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really what has shaped us is uh, adding great people to our team that we've been able to say, here's what I would bring into this from a North American context, but teach me what is 
Um, what is the strength that drives this Spanish-speaking context, mm -hmm. this Latin American context? Um, because the last thing that we need is to produce American Christians. Right. We just need to help the local church be her best form mm -hmm. in her place. Right. And so that's our focus. So we, we don't need them to take on any of the forms of other places. Mm -hmm. We need the church to be her best form where she's at. I love that. It's beautiful. Okay, so um, a little bit of confession time now. All right. Um, I don't know if our listeners know, I am privileged to be on your board. And so I'm familiar with kind of everywhere the, the ministry is going and um, the people you're reaching and equipping and hiring and on and on. Um, what I realized is it, it almost acted like a mirror where it revealed some prejudices that I had and probably some I still have where I made a lot of assumptions about um, people in the Spanish speaking world, whether um, it was that they with, you know, air quotes, they uh, a monolith are uneducated or unmotivated or um, illiterate or, and where did this come from? It's just not true at all. Um, so first of all, thank you for helping me, um, confess that sin of looking at people as anything other than image bearers. Um, but also, um, how do you combat that prejudice, especially as you are talking to Americans? Right. You know, we just, all of us have a, an image in our head when I say, um, we serve the Mexican church, um, you have this image. And so, you know, before we lived here, uh, it was, you know, the Catholic church on Nacho Libre that I always had in my mind. And, uh, okay. And, you had yeah. to go to Nacho Libre. Right. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's the image or the little dusty desert town where, uh, you have, you know, an uneducated, a, you know, a little church that, um, is dependent upon the American church right. to come and do projects to help it accomplish anything. Right. And, uh, and we have that image because it does exist, mm -hmm. but just like not every U S church looks the same, mm -hmm. not every Mexican church looks the same. Right. And so, um, I love that you're part of our board and uh, that we get to serve together. And so like we have this uh, opportunity to go and serve in Aguascalientes in September. So Aguascalientes is in um, central Mexico. For those of you who need to pull it up on Google and look that up, Aguascalientes is in um, part of the country that's called the circle of silence. Mm -hmm. And in those 10 states in central Mexico, um, there is uh, the Christ Christian representation there is lower than in many Muslim countries. 
And so very unevangelized right. section of, of Mexico. And we are partnering with people to um, plant churches there. Mm-hmm. And I just look at the team that we have there. And uh, we partner with a couple, Valentin and Betsy. And, uh, and they have um, several years in pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. um, but also, and have graduated from our program, but also Betsy is a master's level school psychologist. Right. And Valentin is an electrical engineer, uh, extremely gifted, mm-hmm. extremely talented, um, very well educated. Um, we just had this missions conference and, uh, and we brought um, young people in from all over the Spanish speaking world. And we're just blown away at the giftedness, the vision, mm-hmm. the talent of of these people. And so one of the things that I think breaks that and helps change that is by meeting people and hearing story. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's so important that we take time to learn about what does the local church look like in other places. Mm -hmm. And uh, just because they don't have the resources to have a large facility does not say anything about their education level, their preparedness, their passion for ministry. Um, And the second that we start thinking that resources has something to do with preparedness, we need to look in that mirror Mm -hmm. and, uh, and evaluate why we have such a shallow perspective of what the church actually is. Right. Do you think, so you had said earlier that, um, we kind of think the church starts in America and goes out from there. And I was thinking of like a bicycle wheel where we think America is the center and then the, right. all the spokes go outwards. Um, it seems like the more I'm exposed, the more maybe other people are exposed. Um, maybe we'll realize there's though, if there is a wheel crisis at the center, right. <laughs> not the American right. church. Yeah. 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 And, and we're all spokes pushing outward from right, Christ. Right. Like, like that's the, that's, that's one of my favorite concepts of scripture is that um, we have this great buildup in the old Testament where everything moves towards our savior. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Jesus and we see his life that gives us an image of what the center is going to look like. Right. But then the Holy spirit comes and it is this explosion of spokes outward from Christ. Right. And, uh, and so we always need to, remember that our local church, our local expression fits on the spokes moving outward right? and pushing uh, away from Christ, pushing outward from Christ right. Right. towards the ends of the earth. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you probably a little bit of a controversial question. All right. Bring it. We can always cut it if we don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So we talked a little bit about prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think short-term missions in Spanish-speaking countries can lend to these prejudices? And if so, how? And then what do we do about it as Americans? Right. So I will first say that we live here because we visited a church on a short-term trip. Mm-hmm. 
and God spoke to our hearts. And so I never want to devalue the potential of being exposed to the church Mm -hmm. in all of its different forms and all of its different expressions. And so if short-term missions is driving people to be exposed to what the church looks like in different expressions, I think it's essential for us to really begin to break down prejudice Mm -hmm. and also look and see how do we partner in harmony with one another. Sure. Now with that, getting to your controversial side, um, I think what has happened, especially, well, what has happened in Latin America is um, our short-term missions have been a exportation and patriarchal relationship with the Spanish-speaking church. Hmm. And so what we've done is we've created um, dependency in the Latin American church on North American resources that come through our short-term trips. Okay. And so in the process of desiring, having intentions of going and blessing, what we've done is we've exported our vision of the church Hmm. instead of empowering nationals, locals to live out their own vision. Sure. And so one of the things that we see here a lot, and one of our challenges here, you know, we're only a couple hours from the border and, Hmm. and lots of groups come you know, bring your teenagers and we're going to build a church. We're going to build a house. We're going to do a VBS. Mm -hmm. And what begins to happen is ministries learn that if we wait on the North American church, they will show up, tell us what they're going to do, but leave an offering at the end. Okay. And that says, then we do what they say. Mm -hmm. And we wait on them Mm -hmm. to show up and say, this is what we're bringing. Rather than the American church saying, how can we come alongside you? How can we come alongside Mm -hmm. you? Of listening, of building relationship, of hearing, how do we put wind in the sail of your vision that God's given you? Right. In believing in a Valentine and a Betsy and saying, These are gifted, talented, God-called leaders who know exactly what their community needs. What can we do to serve under them? Right. Or I would even say, learn from them. Sure. But one of the things that I think we do is a youth pastor with 14 teenagers comes as the expert. Right. And that's something that we as senior leaders have somehow communicated is our role in these short-term missions. And I I really think they should probably be called short-term experiences. Right. Because what we want is for young people to experience the international church. Right. And to see the church in a new culture, in a different context, and be encouraged to say, I have more in common with a Mexican in the church than I ever imagined. Right. And so I think it's just 
you can do the same things, but it's a perspective shift and it's a humbling ourselves to say, we're coming underneath the vision of the local church and we want to learn from the local church because she's the one who has understanding of the gospel in that context. Right. Right. That's great. So I'm glad you talked about learning because that transitions into my next question so perfectly. Good job, Jim. I'd give you a high five, but we're not in the same room. Um, Okay. So this is kind of a broad question. So feel free to narrow your answer as much as you'd like. Um, What have you learned? Maybe what's one thing you've learned as you travel and are exposed to more facets of the global church, specifically in Spanish-speaking churches? First, I'm just overwhelmed by the diversity and creativity of God in his church. Hmm. Um, We mostly work in a Spanish-speaking context, but the Mexican church is not, the Cuban church is not the Spanish church. Right. And, you know, then, of course, we can break that down within Cuba, the church looks different in different places, mm-hmm. but, but you start to see the diversity and creativity of the church. And we are able to say like, God, what an incredible God you are to shape the church to reach her local people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's just such an incredible thing to be able to see that um, one of the things that the Spanish-speaking church was so good at was living out its strengths to meet the needs of the local church. Hmm. And I say was so good at because one of the dangers of the internet has been I learned how to copy from all over the world. Yeah. And so we talk about prosperity, and I find that this way of doing church seems to have had great results in Sacramento, California. We're going to try it in Havana, Cuba. Right. And that makes no sense whatsoever, yet that's what we're going to try. You know, we see it in American culture. We see it in Latin American culture. You copy what seems to be successful and you quit seeking God to shape and guide. We're looking for the right formula. Right. Where the Latin American church is still very good at saying, how do we best serve our local community and the needs that we see here Mm -hmm. and shape our church around that? Yeah. That's awesome. And so I, I just, I am always just so amazed at the creativity of God in his church. Yeah. Good. It probably spurs your creativity also, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Definitely gives you freedom to be creative. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, we're going to, we're going to change gears. All right. Um, I believe you introduced me to... Um, we can call them all sorts of things, ascension gifts, um, fivefold ministry of Christ. Uh, let me read from Ephesians 4, just so uh, we're all on the same page. 
So I'm reading verses 11 through 13. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So fivefold, we could say, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, also called a pest. I mean, you know, lots of different names. Um, something that's been cool here at Arcade is um, Craig has been leading the staff through um, the fivefold ascension gifts. We also did a our last Learning Jesus seminar, just kind of a, an overview of each gifting and what it would look like to disciple someone with that gift or what it might look like um, as a healthy apostle or prophet, etc. cetera. Um, so that's a lot of introduction, but now that we're all on the same page, um, thinking of those ascension gifts, how does the Spanish speaking church interact with these gifts? How have you seen them? Awesome. Well, first I want to share a little bit of my story with this okay. and then I'll get there. Love it. Because it's an arcade story. Okay. And uh, so I had studied this. I had my thoughts about it. Um, but really, Craig, in a, in a teaching of a group of local pastors, shared this one day. And then I said, okay, can we talk more about that? And, uh, and so we sat and we talked for about an hour. And Craig continued to uh, just deepen this, this theme with me. And, and I will tell you, this was about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and it forever changed the way of how I live out ministry. Great. And now Craig's going to be impossible to work with. Yes. And, and I know that, and I hate giving him credit, but you know, <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. Once in a while. We'll let him have this one. Yeah. And, uh, and, and really, one of the things that, um, that it did was really free me to be the best me that mm-hmm. God created in me to, to live out and not worry so much about trying to do everything. So you didn't have to worry so much about being all things to all people. Right. You could be, and, oh, you're an apostle. How do I apostle to the right. best of my, yeah. Right. And, and really what it did was it began to shape in me this desire to be who I was called to be mm-hmm. and empower others. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was I was trying to do a little bit of everything, which was actually robbing from other people mm-hmm. and how they could live out their giftedness. And so that really um, shaped the way we did ministry from that day in our local church. It shifted to be this focus on raising up and empowering people to live out these gifts. And so, um, you know, so I just want to blame it on our case. Okay, now time out, because now I get to share a gym story, because you, um, gosh, I think it's been seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, is before you moved to Mexico. Um, I took the ministry leadership course offered through Venture Church Network, and I like to say you were the dean of that. I don't know what your official title was, but... Take it. Um, and so you were able to take what Craig taught you and then empower young leaders right. 
which that eight years ago, I was a young leader. Now, not so much, but whatever. Um, and so I see this, you know, because of what Craig spoke into your life and then what you've spoken to my life, I've been able to then learn and grow and speak into other people's lives. So, okay, right. time and back in. So yours. All together. Yeah. At the same the same day that I had the conversation with Craig about that, mm-hmm. that night I presented the idea for the MLC to Venture Church Network. And so just like it, God was working mm-hmm. in all of that. Yeah. And so, so one of the things that I love getting back to the original question of uh, how do we see that lived out in, in the Spanish uh, speaking church? Um, I love how it talks about uh, the understanding of living out this fivefold ministry is how we grow into the wholeness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I really just, I, I love that part. And in the Spanish speaking church, one of the things that um, I think they do very well in this is live out the functions of these gifts well. Hmm. Um, we are from Baptistic backgrounds in, yes. uh, in arcade and my own personal upbringing. And in that background, um, we often grew up with fear of titles of yes. some of these words. And so we killed the function along with the title, yeah, right? Yep. Well, so in the Spanish-speaking church, they I really just see an embracing of, in the structure of how they minister, there are people that just have this apostolic gifting. Mm-hmm. And it's not often talking about this title. It is just living out this function. Right. And there are people who have this, powerful discernment and ability to speak into the life of the church that this function of the prophet is is talking about right here and uh, and they live that out well hmm. and and so when you see that begin um to be lived out well you begin to see the body living out a more diverse fullness mm-hmm. of Christ sure and, uh, and so that is the strength that I see when they're living that out. Okay. I have, I have a thought I'm going to save though. I'm going to save it. Right. So I'll come back to it cause it's written down. So, um, okay. Do you feel, or in your experience, are Spanish speaking churches more prone to emphasize certain gifts? I think, you know, in American churches, like you said, we're allergic to some of those mm-hmm. gift names. And it seems like we've heavily relied on shepherd teacher, of course. Um, but have you seen in the Spanish speaking world where there's more of an emphasis on any of these gifts? Yeah, I think, um, I think there is a lot in uh, in both positive and negative ways mm-hmm. in this prophetic ministry. Okay. And uh, and this um, and and in with that prophetic ministry is this often this mixing in of 
bad doctrine of the prosperity gospel that okay. will come with it. Okay. And so those two things will join together and that becomes dangerous. Sure. Um, I just was speaking with a pastor about this the other day and, and uh, there was someone who wanted to exercise their um, prophetic giftings. And in our experience with that person, um, they are the most ear tickling person ever. Ah. And so what a great prophetic gifting to just make you happy and tell you that you're the best. Um, Can I get their number? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I just said, like, this person would say, I have this Ephesians 4 gifting. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not something that we see lived out in accordance with kind of the model of what we see in either the Old Testament or New Testament. Right. The- the giving. prophet in the in the word has to say hard things, right? Sometimes to their own yeah. great detriment, right? And then in the New Testament, we see that when the prophets mentioned, it's almost always tied to a local church, right? You don't need me to come to Arcade and give you a prophetic word. God's going to raise up people who are part of this body mm-hmm. to speak in to their local church. Right. And, uh, and so um, in the Spanish speaking church, we have relied too much on this outside word instead of God raising up people from inside mm-hmm. to, to where the local church, because this letter is to the church in Ephesus. It's right. talking in a local context mm-hmm. Because the global church always starts locally and it's talking in this local context and he's saying in your local context, you'll have prophets. So don't worry about bringing somebody in from outside to reach the fullness of Christ. There's going to be someone that I raise up from within that can minister in this way. Good. That's yeah. Um, Okay. So thinking about, maybe the most neglected gift. What what was your experience as a pastor in the American church, but then also what have you observed um, in the Spanish-speaking churches? Can you give me that again? Sure. Um, the most neglected gift. Okay. You know, uh, and I think we could say America, but like not saying all Spanish-speaking churches are a monolith, not all right. American, but you, you pastored in Northern California. Right. Um, you're familiar with Arcade. You're familiar with our our church network. Um, so maybe I'll ask that in in the churches that you and I are familiar with, um, maybe churches we associate with. What is the most neglected gift, and why? And then the same question for um, maybe churches in Ensenada, just to sure. to refine it. Sure. And I think that's a fantastic uh, way to define that because. Um, like we can't talk to the American church as if it's one thing. Right. 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 And, uh, and that is exactly the same as we talk about the Latin American church as well. Um, in my personal experience and in serving and then I'm working with our network of churches, um, the churches in the United States that I worked with had a teaching ministry. Mm-hmm. And if anything was going to grow 
outwardly, it was going to be through great teaching. Right. And, uh, and so it was this pastor teacher driven. And then the other part was that when we talk about evangelist, we never thought of the evangelist as being someone from inside the church, that someone's evangelizing from inside. Mm-hmm. We thought of this guy who traveled from town to town yeah. and evangelized. Right. And that's not what this person mm-hmm. is here in Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. It is who is God raising up in this function to help the local church reach the wholeness of Christ. Right. And so... Um, and so that's what I saw in, in the States and really in Ensenada, I think, um, it's even more so that not so much teacher driven, it is pastoral authority driven. Okay. So it's pastoral authority driven Mm -hmm. with whatever their gifting is. Okay. And then everything else is like something that you order from outside. Okay. We need the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist to come from outside, even the teacher um, that comes at the request of this pastoral authority. Okay. And, uh, and a lot of that, you know, I think that is... Um, that has a lot of cultural context in where most Latin American countries come from. Um, Their religious background is um, born out of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And in Catholicism, you have the priest as the main functionary that serves the church. And the priestly authority is like a level 10 and pretty much everybody else lives at a level one Hmm. in our ability to invest into uh, the the movement of the church, the function of the church. And so the everything rests in this priestly authority. Right. When the evangelical church, it's taken that same form to where everything rests on this pastoral authority. Mm-hmm. And so the pastoring gifts then get all the attention and the pastors attend and the within church, within the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher is not empowered to use their gifts. So you bring from outside because they're needed. Right. But we don't empower inside. Mm -hmm. And so because of the cultural dynamic of learning its structure and its functions from um, this priestly idea of the Catholic church, uh, you really see that weakness of we don't trust the people inside our church to live out these functions. So we have to invite it from outside. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that cultural component of it for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So I was able to come visit you and Annie and some of your ministry partners in Ensenada a few years ago. Um, I've been longing for the perfect fish taco ever since, but Um, (laughs) they don't make them the same in Sacramento. I tried and tried and too many tummy aches. I just gave up. Like I'm done. I'm not trying anymore. Uh, That's nothing to do with my question. But what I saw, um, and I, I don't know that I've ever been able to articulate this fully, but what I saw were servants of Christ who saw a need and 
found a way to meet the need. Mm-hmm. Whether um, it was, I'd never heard of a poverty orphan before. So you have these childcare centers where moms and dads can go to work and they don't have to either give their child up because they can't take care of them or lock the door and hope right. they're safe. And so there's there's now flourishing. I, I saw recently from from one of these centers, there's three high school graduates and it's like, that's a miraculous thing that this is happening. And it's because um, this husband and wife took the leap. And, right. you know, I could go on and then there's, you know, Luis and Miriam and Yadira and Amador and blah, 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 on and on and on, where these people who, oh, here's a need. And well, God's gifted me with, I have the gift of apostleship or I have a prophetic gift or I am a shepherd or, and then they, they go and do. And <laughs> that was so both inspiring to me, but also almost embarrassing because we have this overwhelming wealth and opportunity in America and we sit on it. Um, so thinking of how these men and women live out apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, um, how can studying or learning from or being exposed to our friends in the Spanish speaking church help Americans kind of get out of our own way? How do we, how do we, how do we step into our giftings uh, as we learn from our friends in the global church? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things you were describing in the Spanish-speaking church is this fearless response to call. Yeah. And that it was not going to be detained. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that was going to stop their responding to the call Right. that God had placed on their lives. The, um, the unequivocal, um, vision that says there is this need and God, you're giving me a vision to meet that need. And, And so I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll just step out and do it. And, uh, And you know me, you know that I love organization. I love to administrate. I love to teach Mm -hmm. how to see that. But in our culture, sometimes we have had so much of the organizational component that we forgot that we have a God that just separates rivers, that parts seas, that brings down walls because trumpets blew. Right. And and I think we have become so intellectual hmm. and so organizationally, institutionally driven mm-hmm. that just saying yes is foolish. Hmm. And in the Spanish speaking church, I've seen in that foolishness, there's great power. Because those people that you described all stepped out saying, we believe God's going to do this and we're going to work hard to administrate mm-hmm. it and be great stewards of it, but we're going to step out and go now. Right. And, you know, I remember um, you mentioned Amador and Yadira and they planted their church in that dusty little community when there was 
barely any houses out there. Yeah. And it was because he stopped to eat lunch along the side of that dusty road one day and saw children that he said were like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. And so how am I not going to respond to that when I could shepherd them? Yeah. And it was as simple as that. Um, a month later, they had rented a house and started a children's ministry that grew into a church. Right. And Amador and Yadira are so organized, are so well-structured now, but they were willing to say the structure will catch up. Yeah. We're not going to let one of those kids languish without a shepherd any longer. And I really feel like that's what has inspired us to say, man, how does a Cuban go to North Africa? Cubans make zero money. They have no good sinning organizational structure. And yet they just said, we're going, right. help us figure it out. Yeah. And well, awesome. We're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I think what you see is um, a lot of that Acts 16, um, God gave me a vision last night. Tomorrow we're going to Macedonia. Right. Lived out in the Spanish-speaking church in the global south as it expands outward mm-hmm. to the nations. You know, we uh, our sermon series just previous was called Unleashed and talking about how, you know, we've been unleashed to live out this life that Christ uh, modeled for us and thinking how if we lived as we were unleashed, which it seems like our friends in Spanish speaking cultures live unleashed. They're not, they're, God called them. They're going to go do it. Why would they say no to God who saved them? And Jesus is their everything. So they're going to say yes. So um, for me, I think what I've learned from the little exposure I've had, which has been a drop, um, has been to, to dream. And if you get that dream from God, if you feel that call, say yes and go mm-hmm. for it. Right. Because how could you not? Right. So. Right. And, and I love the, I love the, the idea of being unleashed to being let go. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot about um, the idea of being let loose, empowered and let loose mm-hmm. to fly, you know, we, and, uh, and that's what, one of the things that um, we have trouble as leaders, we want to protect others. And so we, in our fears, are afraid to unleash people, right? Right. right. And so we end up being the hindrance um, because we want to protect. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I just was thinking the other day um, when we had our missions conference, the night before we start our conference, you could just feel God moving. Hmm. Like it was starting to swell, you know, and and I sent a note to Glenn, who helps us, who he works with missions. He's helping us mobilize mm-hmm. um, Spanish speakers to the world. And I said, if God responds to what we've prayed for, are we prepared to do it? Wow. And then like three days later, we were like, oh, my gosh, hmm. God has more than responded. Yeah. 
but we were ready for this. And, uh, and there's so, there's this place where we say like, like I'm terrified. Yeah. Like you're telling me God's calling you to this and my administrative organizational mind <laughs> says that does not sound possible. You're that little emoji where your brain is. Yes. And yet my experience with God says mm-hmm. it's absolutely going to happen. Yep. And so we're all in. And that is a horrifying place to jump in and say, we are all in because I am convinced of God's call on your life. Yeah. I have no idea how it works, but we're in with you. And that's where we live most of our life. Yeah. I feel like that is really what our ministry is, is mm-hmm. saying, we believe in you. How do we help you achieve what God's called you to? Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes that's just really fun and you get to sit back and give resources to help that happen. Yeah. And sometimes it's horrible because you realize that you're jumping off the ledge with that person and right. there it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully your parachute opens, right? Exactly. Uh, or the pool's deep enough or whatever. Right. Because normally we didn't take time to pack the parachute. Right. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> God called. So you said yes, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I That is the end of my questions. Cool. Um, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. It's fun to have a specific conversation um, about what what you and your team and your family are doing in Ensenada and the ends of the earth, which I love thinking about uh, what your and Annie's yes has led to. So um, thank you for letting us have a little glimpse into your life, into your ministry, and then also into um, our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters around the world. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank yeah. you so much for the invitation. You bet. I'm going to close with our catechism question and response from this month. Awesome. So hang on one second. So we're, our question is, what is a local church? A local church is a group of believers who worship God together, tell others about Jesus, and share one another's burdens. It is a small outpost of Christ's kingdom in satanically occupied territory and a window into the restored Eden Christ will bring when he returns. It is marked by two ordinances and qualified spiritual leadership. So, Jim, God bless you. Tell Annie, and I think Kate's probably home. Tell them I said hi and give them a hug for me. Thank you so much for joining us. What a great pleasure. Thank you, guys. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on Brick by Brick Podcast. What a great episode with Jim today. Uh, If you haven't yet, be sure and subscribe. That way you'll get notified as soon as the next episode drops, which happens every third Wednesday of the month. You can also rate, comment, share. Um, Just help us get the word out about Brick by Brick. We would really appreciate if you would do that. We will see you next month.